Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family, from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Your Living Proof Podcast. How you doing, EJ? I'm so good. I'm actually... I don't know that I've ever been this excited about one of our episodes. Today's going to be good. It is going to be good. Um, They're all good. No, they are. But this is just like, especially, okay, we just busted into the month of November, which Danny told me is different. Yes, it is different. It used to be like no shave November. Yeah. Or like must, must, something about a mustache November. I don't know. But But what floods the world nowadays is, okay, mom, I'm sorry, but. It, you can look it up online. It's no nut November, but it is also better known as no pornography November. No porn November. No porn November. The fact that that is a movement, a thing recognized yeah. throughout the country, it's like a significant milestone for people to overcome shows where we're at. So we've talked a little bit about this before, and today is even better because we brought an expert in yep. to help us who knows this world, the effects of it, the challenges of it. Better than anyone. Jeff Stewart has joined us on the podcast today. Jeff is a licensed marriage and family therapist with 23 years of experience helping couples heal and individuals heal from the impact of sexual betrayal, unwanted pornography use, and partner betrayal. He is the co-author of Love You, Hate the Porn, Healing a Relationship Damaged by Virtual Infidelity, and the host of the weekly recovery podcast, from crisis to connection. I love that. It's an awesome I podcast. I love that because all of you know that we, we talk all the time that the opposite of addiction is connection. So that's just beautiful. He's produced workbooks, audio programs, online courses, and helped couples rebuild broken trust. He received a bachelor's in communication studies from BYU and a master's in marriage and therapy from Auburn University. He maintains a private counseling practice in his beautiful Southern Utah home, and he's been married for 25 years to Jody. And they are parents of four children. 25 years of marriage. Hey, well done. You're already winning. No that. joke. You're I'm winning. You. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, we're so glad that you are here because we have so many listeners. Yeah, we have a lot of questions. Need need to hear your Yeah, thoughts. thanks for having me, guys. This is awesome. And it's it's nice to have someone who's been around so long that can give us some real answers. This is people have such a hard time talking about this. Have you ever noticed that, Jeff? Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and admittedly, like, you know with my own children, I still sometimes get a little kind of pit in my stomach, like, cause we just care so much about protecting our loved ones sure. and we know how dangerous these things are and how harmful. So sometimes I think with our own family members, we still have a little bit of a hesitation. So that's normal, but yeah, we all kind of have a natural sexual shame as humans. It's just, you know, three-year-olds start to discover it all of a sudden they're like, maybe I don't want to be running around, you know, naked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's <laughs> interesting. Our we daughter just, just of, turned six yeah. and she went through that the last year or two. Yeah. Like she would run around naked all the time. And then all of a sudden I remember specifically, she's running down the hallway once and she's like, oh, my brothers are there. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know where, where that came on, but yeah, it's true. So yeah, yeah. as a society, we shove things under the rug, we brush things under mm-hmm. the rug. We avoid these difficult topics. So we always totally. talk about the importance of being open and honest and having a safe place within our home to discuss this. That's right. So let's give them some questions because we're chomping at the bit. Yes. We're so, so, so happy. Okay. So one of the things that stood out to me actually just from your website was a quote that you had on your website that says, trust is everything and I can help you become trustworthy. And just 
because I'm I'm a spouse of an addict, I related to that because I know there's just so much betrayal that comes from every addiction. But mm-hmm. pornography addiction that really it hits it hits a a deeper chord there. And so when I read that, I'm like, oh. How do you help people do that? Because it's so critical in rebuilding the trust in your relationship to be able to move forward. So how do you help people do that? Oh, man, you're not kidding. The thing about re- trusting somebody, again, that's that's really betrayed you like that is, is that the relationship is going to be unbalanced for a while, meaning that this is not a couple's project, per se, from the get-go, right? It's yeah. the responsibility of the person who broke the trust to lead out and to really take the a position of humility, openness, transparency. And they're the one that has to drive this forward. Otherwise, the betrayed partner can't somehow restore trust. They can't pull the trust out. It's just not going to happen. Right. And so, so there has to be some level of engagement on the person who broke the trust. And when the turbulence hits, which is her trauma triggers, her mistrust, her fears, mm-hmm. her suspicion, her control, all the things that are going to come out as the natural evolution of her feeling safe again. The person who broke the trust has to be bolted to the ground. They have to have good support. They have to have good tools and resources. They have to have tons of courage and humility to sit through that turbulence because they're going to feel like it's not fair sometimes. They're going to feel like they're misjudged and misrepresented. And they're going to want that back quickly. In fact, they're going to want trust back the same way they want relief quickly from the addiction. And, and see, that's, that's what's so hard. Yeah, that's they're crazy. so used to getting they're so used to getting relief quickly, and rebuilding trust is a whole masterclass in discomfort and uncertainty. I mean, oh, they just have to sit totally. with it. Yesterday, I was doing some mentoring with three young men. That exact same scenario. One of them's been in treatment for thirty days. The other ones in a 90 day program, he's been clean for about three months. The other one's actually about six months into his, his recovery job guys. Yeah. All all of them are a little impatient. All of them want everyone, their mom, their siblings, their spouse, their employer to see, Hey guys, look what I'm doing. Look at the changes I've made and the sacrifice. So as I'm working with them and trying to mediate this, I'm like, yes, they are proud. They're anxiously waiting to see if you continue down this road. But what you did didn't happen overnight, and it's not going to be undone overnight. So it is, right. a, it, but you nailed it. What they've been trained for so long to do is feel the way they want immediately. Yes. It's a great immediate, way to put it. immediate satisfaction. So anything prolonged, I still struggle with that. Almost 15 years later in sobriety, I'm just like, what? At the wait? Yeah. Yeah. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. Can't you just forgive me right now? But it's so difficult. Like as a spouse, when there's been that, broken trust it's just so difficult to not immediately go back to that dark like hurt place even after years and years and so it's it's frustrating on both ends right you're you're talking Absolutely. to somebody that's like oh my gosh haven't i shown you like haven't i shown you that like i can be trusted now and all this and you're like well sort of but there's always that door i, I love how he said unbalanced yeah it, it's gonna totally. be unbalanced yeah <laughs> Well, and I've never met a partner who's been betrayed who loves the way they feel, right? So like there's this belief, this lie in the addict's head that somehow, you know, my wife, my partner is somehow liking, controlling me, or they, they just want to like have one over on me. And the truth is, is that what the part, the betrayed partner is experiencing is just kind of the normal brain's negativity bias, which protects us. So I mean, it's in our best survival interest to remember pain 
And so it'd be stupid to sort of forget it and just carry on. We'd just be getting run over all the time. So oh, that's they're trying to one. overcome that bias and, and have enough experiences. I think it was John Gottman's research on marriage, just regular marriage, where he says, you know, in order to build a, a thriving marriage, you have to have a 10 to one positive to negative ratio, right? And so yeah. I mean, the power of one negative is like more powerful than 10 positives. And so you yeah. got to outpace it. Wow. That's and powerful. So that's trail is like a bunch, of, a bunch of lies, manipulation, secrecy. That's tons of negativity. Yeah. Just this week, we were arguing about something <laughs> like a Christmas tree, and I was like, "This is this is real." Look what I've done <laughs> all week long. I've I've done this, 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 and this, and now just because I said that one stupid comment, you give me the cold shoulder. Unbelievable. Hey, I got to ask a question. Can yes, I, can yes. I have a turn? Yes, okay. you can. Sorry, sorry, Jeff. This is a question I get confronted with all of the time. There are treatment centers all over the state of Utah. There's well over 50 treatment centers that range everything from youth wilderness survival camps all the way up to the nicest, most luxury, luxurious treatment type centers. They're to help people overcome their addictions. I've met with several of them where the actual clinical director or someone would not consider pornography the same as a substance abuse addiction. And now I understand there's, they're talking about the chemical dependency and such. I also mm -hmm. understand the obstacle we have nowadays is insurance doesn't recognize that as something that they would cover when they would cover substance abuse or alcoholism. Right. So that is a challenge in its own, but just the actual thought, I would love to know your opinion on how you think pornography or sex addiction compares into the destructive nature of alcohol or drugs. Not the, not the administrative yeah. side of a, of a treatment, but how does it compare in its destructive nature? Well, I think it's a slower burn for one. I think it takes longer to do the damage, you know, with, you know, getting drunk, you could go out that night and kill somebody in your car. Sure. With pornography, it's going to take a lot longer and it's a lot easier to hide. But in terms of the destructive impact, I think it has tremendous potential to, well, just dismantle families for one. And, and the manipulation, the lying and the shame and even just the attitudes about women and monogamy and other things that get slowly get infected over time of prolonged exposure to pornography, that can go on for generations. I mean, I see people who, because it's not just like a chemical that goes in your body and goes out. Sure, It's a whole mindset. It's an attitude. It's a belief system that it affects. You're watching and learning. Um, it's modeling things. You're learning about power and men and women and bodies and control and lust and objectification and all these things that can get passed down in your interactions from the extreme, which would be, you know, the kind of the rape stuff, belief systems, rape mindset of no means yes and things like that. I mean, that's one extreme of it, but then there's just also, there's also a lot of patterns around control and abuse and shame that can get passed down from parent to child. And I see it happen multi-generationally. I, I have people that come into my office who knew that grandpa or dad looked at pornography and, and there's permission in that and there's ideas and the way that he saw them treat mom and, and the way they felt unsafe in the home. And so it, to me, it's just like a cancer that just can kind of spread all throughout family systems and belief systems and attitudes. And so healing from pornography isn't just about stopping pornography. A lot of it is kind of reprogramming or unprogramming a lot of these belief systems and entitlement and other stuff that come with it. So is it as destructive long-term? Yeah. I think it has the potential to do just as much damage as drugs and alcohol to family systems. Absolutely. 
Thank you. I see the same. I just, every single day meeting someone new, working with someone, I think we've brought enough attention to drug and alcohol addiction that people will talk about it a little bit more than they used to, right? People say it in church. We talk about it in school, which used to not be the case. Yep. And people that I see in my experience is that they are willing to be open and say, yes, I, I have a problem with alcohol or Mm -hmm. yes, I, I have an addiction to opioids, but I'm never going to let the words come out of my mouth that I also have a pornography addiction. That it's the shame. It's the stigma behind it. And I get so frustrated with the fact that people just won't open up about it in order to have a chance at getting help. And I hope eventually we get some more momentum with that. I guess that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And, you know, and talking about it on your podcast and giving people permission is huge. Um, I think it's getting better. I think more people are starting to recognize that it's not just a willpower issue or a moral failure. And in fact, most people that struggle with this, you know, we're exposed by as kids. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, what's a kid's brain supposed to do against this stuff? I mean, it's just like, I discovered pornography when I was eight in the desert in a magazine. I mean, it was just random, right? Yeah. yeah. With my sister, first time I ever saw anything. And I'll never forget it to this day. I can still remember exactly what I saw. But, you know, if I'd had a smartphone in my pocket at eight years old, Jeez. I have a lot of compassion for these kids. Yeah, it's it's mental warfare. I mean, absolutely. The first time I saw a naked woman in a magazine, it wasn't in the desert, but it was kind of a very polarizing moment as well. We were at a buddy's house. His dad worked and he'd left for work and there was about four of us and it took a group effort. Someone had to sit at the window watching, make sure his dad didn't come back. The other two had to lift up this heavy bed and then the other had to pull this chest out from underneath the bed. All of that to be able to open a magazine and see a piece of paper. You're right. The kids these days, they don't have those difficulties. They don't have to be in the desert or having a group effort. They get to see anything they want on their fingertips, unfortunately. Jeff, I've got a question for you because I have a lot of friends that have come to me with this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just heavy and they're not sure what to do. And it's right. My husband is addicted to porn and he doesn't really care. Like he doesn't think it's a big deal. He feels like it's normal that it's not like affecting anyone but him and that he doesn't really, he has no desire to like change it. It's just kind of like, yep, I do. Like, just might like not, I like. It might not be the best thing, but he doesn't yeah, look at it as betrayal. I, I'm, I'm not wasted. I'm going to work. I'm doing the things, but yeah, I look at porn and I don't, what advice could you give to a woman in at that point where she's feeling betrayed and hurt, but stuck? Knowing that it's going on. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, the biggest problem in that scenario to me is actually not even the porn. The biggest problem in that scenario to me is that, that whatever he's doing, whether it's pornography or whatever, however he's living in his life has desensitized him to his wife's pain. Mm-hmm. And so if his wife's pain does not trigger any sort of a pause or hesitation or curiosity or remorse or anything other than dismissal and denial, that's going to be a bigger problem for the marriage. Now, yeah. I don't think pornography and marriage are, are compatible primarily. Yeah. But if she doesn't have the ability to, to sort of like impact his heart at all, yeah, because he's so numb or so checked out or so, you know, whatever, just, you know, sort of dismissing everything all the time, then she's going to have an uphill battle of having any influence in this relationship. So, I mean, my question for her would be like, how big of a problem is it for you? And are you willing to have some self-respect and advocate for yourself by having some healthy boundaries around your body 
around what you're willing to do and not do. Cause a lot of these guys that look at it, a lot of their ideas around sex come from pornography and sure. they oftentimes want to bring those into the bedroom. And yeah. so a lot of women feel like, well, I'm up against society that's so pornified. And if I want to be like competing with this, or if I want to like, a lot of women feel like they have to somehow play into this and they don't, like they yeah. don't at all. That's powerful. right there. That, that calls for a little bit of a little beatbox in the mic because what Jeff just said, he articulated it way better, right? It's beautiful and it's so important. I'm a road warrior. I'm out in the streets. Jeff is articulating and saving lives here. And what he said is what we refer to so often as you have to be the disruption. Yeah. We talk to families. We encourage families. If you are not the disruption, the only other thing it could possibly be is a judge, a jail cell, maybe an institution or something, but you are going to have to be, unfortunately, again, it doesn't seem fair. You're going to have to be the disruption. And what you just right. said, I hope every woman yeah. who finds herself in that position goes and re-listens to that. And here's the thing, Danny, like it's not even that she is disrupting to change him. I mean, that would be a great outcome, but she needs to disrupt for her own self-respect Correct. and her own dignity. She's got to pre- preserve and protect because if he's not willing to look at this, She's being objectified. She's being used. And make no mistake, she's not the only one in the bedroom with them. Right. You know, mentally. Like they're like a, a guy that's using porn and does not think it's a problem. There is virtual infidelity going on. And, and a lot of people would argue back and just say it's entertainment, it's harmless. I call BS on that, man. I've worked Amen. with this too long. Yeah. And really what happens is at some point she feels like, okay, well, either I have to be super sexy and please my husband the way he needs to be pleased. Or I just have to be okay with this, like with him getting it where he can. And I I just have to give up. And And what the heck? This is so steeped in male entitlement. It like makes me disgusted, right? Which is why isn't the guy feeling like, oh my gosh, what can I do to help my wife feel more safe? Right. Why, Why is she the one doing the dog and pony show trying to like stabilize the relationship? Where is he in all this? Why is she accommodating all of this? Because he's pulled away because he's checked out. I pornography creates so much male entitlement for both men and women where everybody believes they need to organize around men's sexual needs. And it's just yeah. so screwed up. But it starts so young. I feel like I that, that starts so young in every girl's Amen. mind. She needs to look a certain way. I know. To I know. attract men, to get what she needs. It's like currency. And it's taught inadvertently from like starting at like even 10 years old, I can see that starts. And so that's why I think it's so difficult for women. Once they get into that position where they're married, they just had a baby. They're not feeling sexy. They're feeling awful actually and tired. And then they have a husband that's like, I need sex. Like, do you want me to just look at porn? Okay. I'll just look at porn. And then they're feeling stuck. I just talked to so many women that are in this weird spot where they're like, I don't know what to do. Like, I guess I need a mommy makeover. I need my body to be back where it was, even though I'm still having babies and I'm, I'm trying to be a good mom and, but my husband has needs and I want to keep him. And it's, it's really tough. Yeah. Let me talk to your women for a second. Can I just, yes, I'm going to talk to the ladies. Yes. Ladies, it is not your job to be a sexual service provider to your husband. Like that is not your job as a wife. Intimacy, sexual intimacy is something that you share together on equal footing. And it's, it's about full consent. It's about you feeling fully present, not afraid. You're not doing it to control or stop something bad from happening. 
you're sharing yourself. He should be sharing himself in full honesty and transparency and building something together. And you changing your body, you, you obsessing about your sexuality, that's one dimensional. You are so much more than your body. You have so much more. And, and what he needs is to learn how to see you and be connected to you. And so if you only focus on that and only give him that one dimension, you'll never be able to feel like a full person and he'll never see you as a full person. So expect him to see all of you, not just this one part of you. Wow. Oh, I love that. I just, I just like zoned out and I was just like, it's so important. It's so, so critical. And going back full circle, that is why the smartphone in the pocket of an eight year old is so scary is because if they're learning, well, that's what women are for. That's what we, that's what we do. At that age, when they enter a relationship, especially a, a marriage relationship where there's commitment and those expectations are, are there in their mind, they've solidly been there for, you know, over a decade, mm-hmm. you have some serious underlying issues just ready to burst, right? Amen. Amen. Yep. I just, when he was saying that, speaking to the women just now, it was powerful for me because, you know, Jeff described his experience in the desert as a young boy I talked about with me and my buddies. At a young age, it's, you're driven. It's a driving force. It's a, an appealing power yep. that your body naturally desires. Okay. I'm not saying everyone, but most of us. Yeah, and that's right. It is something that you want. And as a boy, you become a little bit one dimensional and just needing that pleasure. Right. But I can't see how anything could be more destructive than pornography to take that vulnerable time in your life as a young boy when you literally have 25 erections a day just from living. And then not only taking that one single biggest motivating factor and then adding in the element of distorted expectations and reality. It's just unfortunate because at that time when these young boys are so fragile and girls, you are literally transforming the way that they think and they function. Mm -hmm. It's like creating a template, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like I said, it's pornography is, is it's not just a behavior. It's you're installing a whole operating system for how people interact with relationships in the world. And so that's what we're trying to prevent is not just don't look at that. It's bad. It's like they're sitting down with a really screwed up teacher. We would never put them in that school. We would never let somebody have access to their brains and their hearts that way. And same with girls. I mean, Girls are being pornified just as much as guys are on the other side of it in terms of them believing that they need to be somehow provide this for guys. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite organizations, I'll just give a shout out to them is Beauty Redefined. Maybe you've heard of them. Oh, I love Beauty Redefined. They're amazing. Like I think every girl and boy should be reading and studying and understanding and every parent should be teaching these principles in their homes. I have a 12 year old daughter. We talk about this stuff all the time. And my sons also know it's, it's critical to understand that women are more than bodies and to reject these lies around just how we're viewing all of this. There's like more than 40 studies that link pornography use to unegalitarian attitudes toward women. I mean, that alone, just in a marriage, that's a total setup for failure. Yeah. Um, it just, it creates, there's over a hundred studies that link pornography use to sexual aggression, coercion, and violence. That alone, I'm like, should that not get our attention to say it's not just harmless behavior it's not a harmless boys will be boys kind of a thing yeah it's not entertainment it's it's terrible i know you have another question but i'm I'm just curious what your maybe not even your professional opinion but just a personal opinion is sure in the progression of sex or pornography addiction so in the world of substance abuse i see this progression happen now 
people get this misunderstood because there are millions of people around the world who can drink on occasion, right? They're mm-hmm. not doing it to fill a void or something that's wrong. They just do it for fun. Now there's a whole other world of people who use illicit drugs and, and alcohol because they're addicted and it's giving them something they can't produce on their own. That person has this progression within the substance abuse or alcohol that kind of comes on a little bit slowly, like you mentioned, but quite often progresses quickly. You know, mm-hmm. it requires so much more financially and it, and it affects them physically and it takes a toll. And so their lives start to unravel quickly. And every single one of those addictions progresses to something pretty severe in which the family finally says, Hey, this isn't working. Like we got to do something about this. Where do you see pornography addictions progressing? I assume not everyone becomes a pedophile, but. Oh yeah. No. What is again, what's the progression and how is it destructive? Yeah, that's a great question. I, in my experience, yes, there's lots of people out there who can watch, you know, a rated R movie or something, you know, TV mature on Netflix and see some nudity and a sex scene, and they're not going to go off and become addicted to pornography. So, you know, a lot of people can, can see and experience things and, and have it not turn into something compulsive. To me, it really depends on what kind of a question we're asking here. Are we talking just about compulsive use? Well, that's, you know, the people that are vulnerable to that, we know just like with substance abuse, that People that are, that are more vulnerable to compulsive or addictive behaviors generally have a lot of underlying emotional issues, trauma, shame, other kinds of issues that just really make this like super magnetic for them. And then it just takes off and becomes more difficult to overcome. Yeah. However, on a more, um, again, a belief system level, I don't think it's healthy for my kids or for myself to be watching shows and attitudes, whether there's nudity or not, that pornify or that teach objectification and lust and these other kinds of things. And so if you just sort of have the marker of like nudity, I've seen movies with nudity in them that I didn't think were pornographic at all, that I felt like were actually instructive or helpful and maybe even taught a principle. And then I've seen some movies where they fully had their clothes on that I thought were extremely pornographic in their ideas and beliefs and the attitudes and the way they acted. Mm. And so I think we have to have a better measuring stick about what we're really looking for. And I tend to look at what beliefs, what attitudes, what ideas is this thing promoting? And, and I think most of the stuff that's out there in the media just really doesn't pass that test, a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so I think we have to be really careful with it. But in terms of it becoming a progressive thing, yes, there is a progression, of course. And can people use hardcore pornography, what they often refer to as gonzo pornography, which is more violent, more degrading, all of that stuff. Can they use that and, and just sort of use it casually? Again, in my experience, I think that stuff is so extreme, it's designed to shock our systems. And I think it does have a stronger tendency to become addictive, compulsive, and secretive because generally you're not going to watch that stuff with somebody else. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it, it creates a lot of isolation and shame and shock factor and tolerance. Yeah. So that's been my experience. I it. just see a lot of young men nowadays that are that will say, Yeah, I I watch pornography, but it's all it's all consensual. It's like a man and a woman, right? Like society standards have dropped so low that they're like well, the porn I watch is just a man and a woman having sex. Like I'm not watching all that crazy stuff, but how long, even at that pathetic, I guess, moral level, how long does someone stay there? Right? Like, do they mm-hmm. just stay there or does eventually they become curious about seeing something else? Cause again, it has that shock factor. And then what does that do? Does that captivate them? And then they need a little bit more. It's the same thing when people's tolerance to certain drugs isn't enough yeah. and they need a little bit more. How long can you stay at that manageable level? I don't know. 
Exactly. Yeah, and I've had a lot of couples where, you know, the wife will feel it's rare that a wife ever suggests this, but she'll go along with the suggestion like let's spice up our sex life and let's watch some porn together. And I can't tell you, I mean, most of the couples that I talk to are coming in because there's been a problem. So I can't speak for all the other ones who this may be working for. But in my experience, clinically, it becomes a problem because in almost every single case, he starts to become more fixated on what's on the screen versus what's in front of him. And so she thinks that they're doing something that will bring them closer, but it's actually creating more division because the truth is, is that this is hard to, to say and hard to accept, but it's true. Because pornography is so fake, women who try and compete with porn really just end up becoming bad porn. Get what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. Like a real woman technically is no match for porn because she's three-dimensional. She's she's so much more. She has a soul, a spirit, a name. She has a life. She has all these things that add so much richness to life. But when she tries to make herself one-dimensional and compete on just that one thing, she'll never compete with all the Photoshop and filming and editing and all the stuff. And then, and then her husband, will, if, if we're only measuring on that, her husband will just be like, yeah, his my re- wife's not. reprogrammed brain is going to just skip totally. right through it. Well, and the girl on the screen doesn't have any needs. Like, no. You oh, don't no. Have, there's no effort there. That's like. So I'm like, <laughs> ladies, don't go there. Don't compete with it because you will lose if that's the only measure. And it's not worth it. You'll lose yourself in it. Wow. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I, I hope everybody heard that. You are three-dimensional, okay? You have a name. You have a soul. You have a spirit. Yes, you have a body too, but man, that is so, so critical. Okay, Jeff, I know I just want to ask you this one thing. Okay, if you're 24 years old, you're a guy, you have a porn problem, you know it, you know it's not good. Where do I go? I have a problem, I know it, I want, I want to fix it. I, don't, I want my freedom back. I feel terrible. What do I do? What is my well, big step? Yeah, if you're if you're recognizing that this is a problem for you and you're hiding it or you're ashamed of it or you're scared someone will find out, the best thing you can do, whether you're in a relationship or not, is you take initiative and tell somebody about it. Shame cannot survive in uh, in openness at all. It's like a cockroach, man. You turn the lights on, it'll scamper away. And so the first thing to do is just be transparent about it, be open about it. Everybody wants to get it fixed and then tell people down the road when they've sort of had the victory story. But the truth is, is that we get better in community, we heal in connection. And you, the person you may tell may have no clue what to do. They may, you know, but tell somebody who isn't gonna enable it and act like it's no big deal or dismiss it. Tell somebody who's mature, who has good boundaries, who has good morals, and just, just be open about it and say, I don't know what to do. And then start getting educated, start getting some support. Um, I mean, 12-step groups are a great place to start. They're free, they're available. Um, SA Lifeline. There's there's lots of groups that specialize. There's Porn Addicts Anonymous. There's lots of online options. Even if you don't agree with 12-step principles, whatever, even just getting into a group and talking about it and opening up and practicing telling your story is going to do a lot to give you strength and um, help you start to really overcome this. So for me, openness, education, and getting those tools and resources are huge. And there's no excuse. There's so many resources out there if you want to just, you know, ask for help and start looking for it, you know, fight the new drug has an app called fortify. I have friends that are developing stuff all the time. There's a lot of resources. It falls right in line with what we say almost every episode and it's our secrets. Keep us sick. Amen. Yep. They just do. And and there mm-hmm. is no bigger, darker, more shameful secret than sexual or pornography addiction. There just isn't. 
Yeah. And let's quit pretending that we're not sexual beings or that we don't, especially for women, a lot of women who struggle with pornography issues, you know, they're sort of culture acculturated again to be like the guardians of sexual virtue and that they should never struggle and that they should always be stronger than men. And, and it's just a lie. Like we're all sexual beings. We all are vulnerable to getting that hijacked and there's nothing wrong with you. If it gets hijacked, like it just does. I tell people all the time, they think I have this somehow magical power to resist sexual temptation. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, like I'm a sexual person too. And like, just because I do this and work with this doesn't mean that I don't have to be aware of what's happening inside of my body and be, be aware of what's happening and maintaining sexual integrity in my own marriage. It's, it's work we all have to do and nobody gets a pass on it. That's powerful. It, it took me 40, 40 something years to figure it out. I, I always thought as a young man, it was like how my body looked what kind of car I drove, how much money I made. I have the greatest sex life. I do. I have it with someone that I love. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to learn. And it was funny because again, I'm 40 years old going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. What mattered most to her was feeling safe. Mm -hmm. What mattered most to her was knowing my intentions were the same as hers and us wanting to continue to move back and be the best person we can. That eventually my goal was to help her return to the presence of God for us. It was also mm -hmm. for her to feel safe knowing that I'm vulnerable. And when I am making mistakes or I'm suffering, I tell her. So all the things I feel like were weak as a man, like admitting that I'm, I'm not doing good and, and telling her about my insecurities and the religious aspect and spending time as a father doing all these things. That's what made her feel safe. That's what yeah. gave her what she needed. Now right I may on, just man. need her in this sweet little outfit and these little panties. And I'm just like, woo. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Okay. That, that's kind of how a man works. But as soon as I realized by being the person I needed to be giving her the assurance of that security is what produced the magic. Right. And inside of that, inside of that security, inside that perimeter, you can have all the fun you want. It's a lot yes. safer. Right. In fact, it becomes a safe adventure at that point. Right. Otherwise you're just riding the roller coaster with no guardrail. You're just, you're <laughs> yeah. just totally like, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And here's the thing, Danny, I love what you're saying. Like as a man, you know, our job is to protect, right? To provide our job is to take care of those we love. And pornography is all about consumption. It's about taking, 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 taking. And so when I'm taking from these anonymous people on the internet, then I come in the bedroom and I'm taking from my wife and I'm turning into a performance or I'm just trying to like push her limits. I'm not providing safety. I'm not providing connection. I'm not providing anything. I'm taking and consuming and I'm selfish. Wow. And so the goal of healthy intimacy is to provide and to protect that space and to have it be something that only you guys share. And you're not inviting other people in. It's our protected sacred space. And then inside of that playground, we can do and have fun all day long. But with that boundary is not there and it's wide open, women can't feel safe and it's scary and overwhelming. And, and I think guys are diminishing themselves as men. They're living way beneath their privilege as men. Gosh. Jeff, we, we need you to run we've for been, president. Yeah, we've been spoiled. <laughs> we just need you to be like the people's leader. Yeah, you're amazing. I, there is not a single topic or subject in our society these days bigger. There's just not. There's political turmoil. You. There's all these pandemics. There's separation. There's so many things that catch our attention. Education. There's a lot of different concerns. But this is the biggest one. I go in, into families. I'm in the trenches every day. And this is what it starts with. Yep. This is what it Amen. starts with, whether it's one of the spouse, one of the children, it doesn't matter. It crawls its nasty way into a home and just starts to erode the entire family structure.
So knowing that, before we let you go, I just want to ask you one last question, and that is, what's your best advice to families that are like, okay, I know, I know this is the snake that's crawling through my grass, and I don't want it to bite anybody. Like, what's the best defense for this, in your opinion? Yeah, maybe a family with young kids and mom and dad. Like, how do we protect our family from this? What's the best way to defense? Well, yeah, stop assuming that somehow you just living a good life will be enough to like model to your kids that everything's going to be fine. My, one of my biggest regrets, my youngest is 12, my oldest is 22. Even with my training and background, I still feel like I didn't talk about it enough. I still feel like with I them, didn't. right? With them. Yeah. And I did, and I did, I did a lot. And now as they're older and I'm watching some of the challenges and just as they're navigating relationships and things like that, I'm like, Oh man, I wish I would have said more. So just be fierce about talking about this and don't feel like you're going to just the eye rolling and the discomfort and awkwardness. I'm like, you're a parent. Like our job is to make our kids a little bit uncomfortable occasionally. Mm -hmm. That's just part of it. There's an organization called, um, I did a podcast with them on my podcast called family tech university. And they have a, uh, an online course called the internal filter workshop that teaches kids how to develop their own internal filter instead of parents having to be the ones to filter everything. And they've wow. done some great work and you, you can find that episode on my podcast and uh, with Emily Jones. And it's so good. The stuff they're teaching. I wish I would have had that course for my boys when they were younger, because before it was always like boundaries, 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 devices, lock it down. You know, let's yeah. just like make Fort Knox at our house. Mm-hmm. And then they go to school and some kids showing them squid games on their phone, you know, and you're yep. just like, oh my gosh, yeah, like, what like, am I supposed to do? Yeah. And the truth is, is that we can do a lot to help our kids develop those internal filters. So that's what I would say to parents, get your kids thinking and talking and deciding that what their own values and filters are going to be, make them strong. We, we always so get awesome. asked if, if our kids are too young, are kids too young to talk about this? And, and the answer we always give them is it's always needed sooner than you can imagine. Absolutely. And you can start teaching them about boundaries in their body and things like that when they're little, you know, um, kids are curious and to them, it's not sexual to them. It's just, they're trying to figure out all this equipment and relationships and things. And we're the ones that make it awkward and weird. Kids are just open books. And so we can start teaching them super early developmentally appropriate. I've done a lot of podcast episodes with different organizations, educate, empower kids, defend young minds. There's, there's a lot of groups out there that are teaching parents how to have these conversations and there's no reason we can't be accessing these resources and, and finding better words to use with our kids. I love it. Well, we got to let him go. But we but, if we get bombarded or held hostage by a lot of these moms, we might <laughs> have back. to have I'd you on again. You we, we seriously, because there's many other questions I know people have. So yes. anytime, and, happy to do whatever with you guys to collaborate because I, I want people to get good resources and support. And that's the other thing. We're going to link in the show notes some of the resources that you mentioned, if you wouldn't mind. And then, obviously, everybody that's listening to this immediately needs to follow Jeff on Instagram. That'll be in the show notes, too. Jeff Stewart. And then you're going to want his book, obviously, and you're going to want to subscribe to his podcast, Crisis to Connection, because it's so good. Yep, it is. It, It affects every single one of us, no matter what. There's not a home that is unaffected by it. Nope. Amen. You're so, doing amazing work. Amazing work. Thank you. We're very Thanks for thankful. having me on, guys. Yeah. Anytime. You. Happy to be here. So, so grateful. So go follow Jeff and hopefully we'll get to talk to him again soon. Have a good Anytime. day. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. guys.